Now, this is the end of chapter 20 in the book of Luke. And this whole chapter has been about confrontation. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders have all lined up to ask Jesus their questions. They gave him three questions and then Jesus gave them one back. But now Jesus comes unglued on them. He really does challenge them and he doesn't do it in a light way. He doesn't challenge them. He rebukes them. He rebukes the religious leaders here. They are not challenging him with these questions just to get Jesus gotcha questions. They want to trap him so they can hand him over to the governor so he can be crucified because they feel that if he is crucified in a shameful way, it will discredit his ministry. And they eventually do get him crucified, not because they trap him in his words, but because they manipulate Pilate and it was God's plan all along. They do get him crucified. And to some people it works. Some people say, I can't believe Jesus is the Messiah because the Messiah is not gonna die in such a shameful way. But he died in this shameful way for our sins that really should bring shame on us. And Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. And so now he turns and speaks to them and he speaks to these religious leaders. And this message is a message that is best preached in a pastors and leadership conference because we're gonna talk about pastoral ethics. We're gonna talk about ministry ethics, the way we minister to people. And when God gives you an influence with someone, and you use the influence the wrong way. You use it for your own personal gain, which is what these religious leaders were doing it. And that's why I say in this study, religious leaders have to hear this. It's not that they have to hear me talk about this. Religious leaders have to hear what Jesus says about this. So it doesn't creep into the church. The sad thing is, is that there are evangelical Pharisees. There are Christian Pharisees in the world today when his harshest words were against the Pharisees in the Jewish community. And he calls them out by their group because they are hypocrites. And we will talk a little bit more about that as well. Now, Luke gives us an abbreviated account of this. Matthew 22 is the questions that are asked Jesus in Luke 20. And Matthew 23 is his lengthy rebuke of the religious leaders. This is an abbreviated and we're going to break it down, but we're going to read a lot from Matthew 23 as we make our way through here to get a little bit more understanding, a better understanding of what he's saying. Now, I do think this applies to you. I say it's best preached at a pastor's conference, pastors and leadership conference, but you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. God has called you into ministry. A pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what these sessions we do on Sunday morning and Wednesday night are about, equipping you to go out and do the work. Now, God graciously allows us to be involved in ministry as well, but our job is to equip you. Sometimes people think, well, our job in the church is to support the guy that's up there in the pulpit because he's doing the ministry. That's wrong. My job, and, I, and in order to do it effectively, I've got to equip you so that you can go into your world. We're like salt in a salt shaker here and God shakes us out onto Tucson or around the world, wherever we go, and we are to minister out there. So when you are given an influence in someone's life and you use that influence for your own personal gratification in, some, in one way or another, that's wrong. That's what these guys were doing. They were given an influence 
They were highly respected by the people. They should have used it to minister to people, but instead they used it to gain stuff for themselves. And so he's going to rebuke them for that. And I just want to let you know, I think there is an application for every one of us here because we are all ministers of Christ. The word minister simply means servant. We are all servants of Christ and we are all salt to go out and make a difference in this world. So let's read the passage. It's only three verses and then we're going to break it down. Verse 45, then in the hearing of the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes. So he's rebuking them openly who desire to go around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places in the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now, when you read Matthew 23, the longer version of this you get even a better idea that Jesus is saying these guys are not genuine. There are genuine pastors who can struggle with these things, but these guys have the greater condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There are those that on the outside are clean, I'm talking pastors, leaders, Christians, on the outside they're clean, they look good, but on the inside they're dirty. They need to be cleaned up. And if you're, especially in the area of ministry, you want to make sure that you do not have hypocrisy. And I need to talk, before we start getting into this, I just need to talk a little bit about hypocrisy. Because Jesus says in Matthew 23, woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he says that over and over again, woe unto you. Like this is a problem for you. You better watch out. Woe unto you. You better listen to this because this is bad. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. So hypocrisy is when you tear down someone and you're doing the exact same thing. Or you are, you, you start talking about someone because they told a lie and you really come down on them, but you yourself with your words are gossiping about someone. That's hypocrisy. You're not doing the exact same thing, but you're using your mouth to sin and you're talking about someone else who's using their mouth to sin. And that can go across the board when we start looking at sins. Jesus said, I will judge you by your words. And when you start talking about someone in their sin, then, hey, I've been talking about something before and suddenly realize that I struggle in this area and try to correct it right away. Because if God's going to judge me by my words, I want to add a few more words at that point to help him judge me. So I'm kind of like, however, we don't really know what's going on inside of his heart. And he may really be trying to fight this thing. God, do you get that? You know, trying to give God a little extra information. I also want to say that as we go through this, we may be talking about certain religious groups that you have been blessed by or that you have been brought up in, and you may find this a little offensive. But if you find it offensive, remember it's the word of God. And where does your loyalty lie? Does your loyalty lie with those who you've been blessed by? Or does your loyalty lie with God and his word and how we're going to or on how we're supposed to live? All right. So the first thing that we want to look at is in the hearing of the people, it says. This is verse 45. Then in the hearing of the people, he, op he openly rebuked them. We often will talk about different groups from the pulpit. I want you guys to be aware of the false teachings that are out there. I don't have time to develop what they are today, but I often talk about progressive Christianity. 
This is the New Age Christianity, the emergent church, the liberal church, all kind of wrapped up into progressive Christianity. They deny the authority of Scripture. They'll even deny the resurrection. Not every one of them in this group deny the resurrection, but as a large part, they do. There's always different people in each group. So some may say, I give an objection to that. I don't think that's what it is. They'll talk about talking about sin being toxic. So churches are toxic when they bring up sin and, rep and, and repentance and forgiveness of sin, which I think is the furthest thing from toxic. Sin is toxic. That's what's toxic. So I'll talk a lot about progressive Christianity uh, and call these group, this group out by name. Uh, I talk a lot about the faith movement, the prosperity movement, they want, that God wants you rich, God never wants you sick. And I call them out by name because the Bible says if anyone teaches godliness as a means of financial gain, get away from them. I talk a lot about the cults, especially the cults that are the Christian cults that look like they're Christian. The Jehovah Witnesses, some Seventh-day Adventist churches. There are some Seventh-day Adventist churches that go to church on Saturday as a preference. There are some that say it's the only way you're saved. And so if that's how they're making it, then it turns into a cult situation. So I'm not saying as, as broadly, they're a very diverse group and their churches are all different. And so you don't want to paint with a broad brush when you don't, when you don't have to. The Mormon church. The Mormon church is now trying they're, 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 they, it's their talking points that Christians and Mormons serve the same Jesus. It's their talking points. But the Jesus of the Mormons was created by Elohim and was created as a spirit being that progressed and got to Godhood. Elohim was a man on another planet that progressed to Godhood so that when he died there, he got this world and he's got a bunch of wives that he has sex with in a physical body and makes spiritual babies that populate the earth. That's not Christianity. And so we, we need to talk about those things. We talk about religious Christians, those that believe because of rituals that they do, that they are making themselves right with God. We talk about those, and we've been doing a lot of this lately in Galatians, who believe they're saved by some work. Well, you guys believe in faith, but I believe that you have to be baptized to be saved or go to church on Saturday to be saved or be baptized in the name of Jesus instead of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be saved. You guys aren't really saved unless you're baptized in the way we think that you're going to be saved. And these are all works that are added to the gospel. And there's more. There's more of them. People will come up with all kinds of silly things. You can't smoke and be saved. Now, I'm not saying smoking's good, but I'm not saying you can't make that a, I'm saying you can't make that a condition of salvation. God's like up in heaven, I'm sorry. You loved me, you lived for me, but you smoked. Out. You're going to the smoking section. <laughs> I wish I'd planned that, but I didn't. I just all the, I stumbled on it. It was all of a sudden, oh, look at that. There it is. The last couple of groups that I say that we want to call out regularly, and these are all parts of what looks Christian. I'm not just calling out groups like I'm not talking about Scientology or Christian science, which just so doesn't look Christian. I'm talking about those groups that look Christian. Motivational speaker Christians. These are guys that don't want to talk bad uh, about anything bad. They're like, oh, I just want to talk about good things. And so, hey, a lot of times our messages don't have anything that you could point at and go, that's wrong. It's all right. And to listen to it is kind of good. And you're like, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to talk to you today about enthusiasm. Enthusi it's good to be enthusiastic. Are you enthusiastic about God? Are you enthusiastic about your life? Are you enthusiastic about your job? You need to leave this place to be enthusiastic. And you're like, you leave and you go, I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> the problem is what they leave out. 
The problem is they say, I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about hell. I don't want to talk about uh, the wrath of God. I don't want to talk about these things. That's the problem. If you went to a doctor and the doctor said, I just want to talk to you about good things. I'm not going to tell you if anything's wrong. We're going to go ahead and do run things. I'm going to tell you what's good. I'm not going to tell you what's wrong. You probably should find another doctor. And spiritual, that, that has to do with your life here. Spiritual things has to do with eternity. And these motivational churches are some of the biggest churches in America. They're motivational speaking churches. They're some of the biggest churches in America because, you know, you want to go to church and feel good. Sometimes you go to church, I make you feel bad. Then there's hyper grace. And that's the last one I'm going to talk about. And we talk a lot about hyper grace. These are people that say it's okay to live in sin. You are in sin and you love Jesus and that's okay. And the Bible says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. A real relationship with Christ is going to transform you. And that transformation is going to bring you out of sin. So I think that these are things that we need to bring up within the church today because they're out there and you need to equip people to be able to face these particular uh, false teachings. Now let's look at what Jesus said in these particular things. And I just want to remind you again, this is what Jesus said. If you get offended at this, it's because you're offended at what Jesus said. So he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes. The scribes were very respected. I am sure that there were people who were offended at Jesus. The scribes were sat in the seat of Moses. In other words, they, they, were, they were given the law to handle. They taught the law. They guarded the teachings of the law to make sure that it was right. And so in Matthew 23 says, when you listen to what the scribes and Pharisees say, and a, and a, and a scribe could be a Pharisee. I think almost all scribes were Pharisees. I haven't been able to confirm that, but I think that's how it was. I know scribes were Pharisees, but not all Pharisees were scribes. So you could be a Pharisee, but then you had another job on top of that, which was a scribe. Now you were a theologian and you sat in the seat of Moses. It wasn't just writing the scriptures down. It was something above it. It was something that now you cared for it. And I'm sure when Jesus rebuked them openly, he said to the crowd, beware of the scribes. There were people offended at what Jesus had said. Because these scribes had blessed them, they had been, they'd seen them, they, had, they, they loved the emotion that came along with Judaism in their day, with people walking around in their long robes and looking very spiritual, very religious. There is an emotion to that kind of religiosity that can make you tie into it. And so he rebukes them openly, and then he says they desire to walk around in long robes. So right away, they dress differently. These are religious leaders that dress differently and they have a piousness about them that I really do love the Lord. I've got my long robe on. Look at the way that I am. And right now we get into some of the Eastern Orthodox, the Anglican, the Lutheran church to some degree. And we get into Catholicism. And I'm not saying that there's no one saved in those churches. In a little while, I'll tell you a story about a Catholic friend of mine and some talks that we, discussions that we have back and forth, and I believe he's a genuine Christian. I believe that because I've, I've grilled him. What do you believe about being saved? And I'll, I'll share that with you. But certainly to wear robes that have a distinction of piousness about it everywhere you go is problematic. It's problematic for this reason, because there's not one of us here who is not prone to pride. And so if I were to walk around in some kind of a religious garb and carry myself in a religious way everywhere that I go, people would be looking at me like, ooh, look at him, look at him. He's, and, and I would grow in pride with that problem, with that. 
and are people in elevating me to a place I shouldn't be in their lives instead of me pointing to God and elevating God. And so there can be a problem when it's the, you know, there can be a problem when, in wearing a robe to come out and teach. Again, G these are the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. This is in the connection to you love to wear long robes. The problem is the outward appearance is one way, but the inward appearance is another. Jesus said, make the inside clean and the outside will become clean. Can you imagine being inv invited over to someone's house for dinner and, and they're washing dishes when you get there and they're washing the outside of cups and they're washing the bottom of plates and then they're like, all right, grab a plate, go ahead and get some food. And you're like, I'm fasting. Didn't I tell you? I'm, fa I'm not going to be able to, to join in. So Jesus says, look, the inside's a mess and you walk around piously. Now, this is not only the Catholic Church. This is, uh, there, there's been some stuff in the, the Baptist Southern Convention Church. There's been some stuff in other churches where there have been molestations that have happened. There have been taking advantage of women sexually within churches and large denominations. And that has happened in the Catholic Church. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Okay, this has happened, which means that there are these priests that walk around in their long robes and they look good, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They are taking advantage of children and Jesus said, if you do, if you hurt one of these children, it would be better for you if a millstone were tied around your neck and you would be cast into the sea. Doesn't matter that you belong to this religious organization. It's not going to give them any protection. What matters is what goes on inside of that particular individual. And that's the problem. And the same thing can be true with a Calvary Chapel pastor or a Baptist pastor or anyone else that sees themselves as being pious. And here's what I've discovered. I'm just going to tell you guys what I've discovered is that people that are involved in things they shouldn't be involved in kind of go over the top when it comes to acting religious. The people that are like, hello, brother. Oh, I just love the Lord. And oh, it's so good to see you. And I just love you so much. And they just kind of play it up. It's just a little over the top. And, and then you find out they're involved in something that they shouldn't have been involved in. And you're like, well, that was all a game. And see, when you're play acting, when you're acting, it's easy to go over the top, like William Shatner in Star Trek. <laughs> There's a lot of over-the-top acting there. And when Christians are involved in things they shouldn't be, they're trying to cover their sin with their piousness, and it's over the top. And you just got to be careful that you're not playing a game. You want the inside of the cup right, and who cares whether or not you look pious on the outside. It also says in Luke 23, 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. Now you're wearing some kind of an outfit. You're doing what you do. You're letting people know what you do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Again, the borders of their garments are big. They're, they're, these, were, these were boxes that held scriptures. God, the Old Testament said, put God's word on your mind and on your, in your hands. I think God meant in your mind, think scripture and live scripture. Do scripture with your, do the law with your hands, do the law with your mind. So they put boxes on their heads with scriptures in it and boxes on their hands with scriptures in it. Then they made them bigger because I got a big box on my head. Look how spiritual I am. You got that little bitty box. I'm so much more spiritual than you. The next thing that he says is you love greetings in the marketplace. You go around in long robes and you love greetings in the marketplace. 
Love to have people recognize them and give them greetings. Listen to what it says in Matthew 23, 6 through 12. This is the longer section on it. They love the best places and feasts, the best seats and synagogues, greetings and marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you all are brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher who is Christ. But he who is greatest among you should be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I'm a teacher. That's what I do for a living. I'm a pastor teacher. Some of you call me Pastor Robert. I, when people say, what should I call you? I say, call me Robert. I don't have to be called pastor. I certainly don't want to be called reverend. And I have some friends that shorten it up. Rev, Rev, it's like. But I'm a teacher. And it's not denying that you're a teacher. There's rabbis. Don't deny that they're rabbis. It's that they loved people in the market saying, Rabbi, Rabbi. They could turn around and go, yes, I am the rabbi. <laughs> like people will say, you will call me pastor such and such. That's a problem. And I had a, we were, we were looking at purchasing a building over here on the east side before we had purchased this building. And we were looking at buying that building. And we were talking to the pastor that was there and I called him up one day and his name was Chuck. And I said, um, hey, Chuck, how are you? Robert Furrow. And he says, um, excuse me, I've earned the right to be called Pastor Chuck. And I was like, okay, Pastor Chuck, you can call me Robert. <laughs> I realized that there was insecurity. He, he's selling his church. They're selling, he, I mean, it's not his church. He's a pastor, the domination owned it. But he's selling it because it's, it's failing and he's probably insecure. So I understand that. Nevertheless, that's still something a pastor should never say. You will call me Pastor Robert. That's a violation of this concept right here. Now, I have a friend of mine who was Catholic, and I played racquetball with him for years. He is part of the Swiss Guard. And if you guys are Catholic at all, you know what the Swiss Guard is. And um, he's also a defense attorney. So he loves to argue. And when I would go to play racquetball with him, he would say, I got a question for you before we play. And then we'd go into it. And because he's a defense attorney, he's pretty good at what he does. And um, so we were talking about this particular issue of calling a priest a father. And I brought up this verse. Don't call anybody on our father. And he goes, but hold on. We get this from tradition. Tradition has given us to call the priest's father. And so we take this from tradition. And I said, yeah, but the Bible is our authority. He goes, no. Paul said, hold fast to the, tradi to the, tradi <laughs> hold fast to the traditions that I have given you. And he did. Paul said that. And so he says, well, then the traditions are as high as scripture. Now, again, I always find myself with, with the answers later, right? Not when I'm debating them, but later on. So later on, I'm reminded that, well, Paul said, hold the traditions I give you, not hold to traditions that the church will give you throughout all of time. So you can't come up with traditions over time and then say, these are the traditions. So again, I'm not picking on the Catholic church. It just is here a lot, okay? And uh, I told you, that I really believed he was saved because we start talking about things. And I said, I want to know how you are saved. Why are you saved? Why are you going to heaven? And he came back. With, I, I gave my life to Christ. I've received Jesus. I said, when you receive Jesus, do you mean you, the Eucharist or do you mean that you have given your life to him? 
And after talking with him, I'm persuaded he's truly and genuinely is saved. He just has a different authority. And I realize if his authority is tradition and mine isn't, mine is sola scriptura, only the Bible, then we're going to have to put those aside and just be friends. And so I finally just told him that. I'm like, let's play racquetball. I want to beat you in racquetball. I don't want, I don't want to argue over what th these particular statements are because we have different authorities. So what good is it for us to, to argue? We got to get back to the tradition thing. We'd have to solve that issue first. And if we can't solve that issue, then there's really no sense in trying to talk about those other things because that's the authority that he fell back on. And, and I think that, that um, Catholic apologists do fall back on regularly. So if you're, in, in a, uh, if you're a pastor, don't have to be called pastor. If you're, it could also be, if someone says Pastor Robert and I go, please don't call me Pastor Robert. If, all of a sudden that becomes weird too, right? So you just kind of take it as it is and you don't demand anything. And if someone does begin to, you know, if someone calls me your eminence, then it'd be like, stop, stop. You know, Metropolitan, stop. I'm not Metropolitan, you know, all right? So there is a point to say stop and to not love the teacher, the rabbi, the father, all of which Jesus talked about. Uh, they also love the best seats in the synagogues. And, and James talks about this in the church. James says in James 2, 3, James is the half-brother of Jesus and he is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote the book of James. And he says, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit at my footstool. So he's saying that the church or the early church, even in Jerusalem, had begun to take wealthy people and give them good places and to take poorer people and to give them poor places. I was told when we started the church that it's best if I don't know, if I don't look at the records of who gives what. That we may know how much an offering was for a weekend, but we don't know who gives what. And that really is good. And I was told this to guard my heart because if I'm looking at the records and I see that you gave a lot of money last year and I see you, I'm like, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And if I look at the records and know you gave nothing, I'm like, hey, what's up? Uh, hey, the human heart is the human heart. Those kind of things can happen. And we want to be careful that we don't, in fact, I, I like to say our wheelhouse is the poor. That's who we're supposed to preach to. That's who's, who the, the, is going to receive the gospel. The wealthy are problematic because money stands in the way. And so we want to preach the gospel to the poor. It's not saying, you know, with God, all things are possible and wealthy people get saved. I'm, I'm just saying we want to make sure we don't give a preference to best places in the synagogue. And I do think seats up on the, the stage are problematic. Sometimes they're used for the guy who's going to get up and give announcements sometimes, but sometimes it's the VIPs. The VIPs of the church are going to set up front and that I do believe is problematic. I might as well just get everybody mad at me today. Uh, and then, he, then Jesus says, and the best place at the feasts. So not only do they love the best place in the synagogues, but at the feasts as well. So they, in their feast, they had seats that of honor and dishonor. And they would get to the place seat of honor. They would take it themselves. Instead of having the host say, I want you sitting at my left hand today. That was the greatest place of honor was at the left hand. I want you at my left hand today. And so Jesus said this in Luke 14, 10 and 11. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sat at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
In other words, if you take that seat of honor, he might come up to you and go, that's not for you. And you'd be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's not for me. Don't take that first place. Take the last place. Then Jesus goes on to say later, the last will be first and the first will be last. By, by taking that low rung, you're not going to lose anything because God sees you and he sees the humility and he will exalt you. And that's what Jesus says. Now, this next part's brutal. Who devour widows' houses. They take advantage of the, the most impoverished. And quite frankly, this is my problem with the so-called evangelist today. And I'm so tempted to give names because they're telling poor people, dig deep and give a lot of money and God's going to give back to you more money. Put it on a credit card to give to me. I understand the whole, like I said, the whole prosperity movement kind of thing that's out there. This God wants you rich. I understand why people preach it. These guys live in 15,000 square foot homes on lakes in Texas. These guys have planes, not one plane, but several planes. And they're taking money from people who are impoverished and telling them to dig deeper. And if they give to them, they have a tenfold blessing. You give to the guy down the street, he only has a onefold blessing. I have a, or a hundredfold, he might have a tenfold blessing. I have a hundredfold blessing. And so they're taking advantage of people. And anytime you're ministering, and I do want to touch on pastoral ethics for a moment. Anytime a pastor is ministering to someone, to use them for something for themselves is wrong. If you are, if, if you've done someone's funeral and done someone's wedding and you've been there for them through some struggles in their life and then they say to you, how are things going? And you say, hmm, things are pretty rough right now. I haven't been able to pay my electric bill for a couple of months. That is a breach of pastoral ethics because he's saying that to get his bill paid. That this person who's really been ministered, they would do anything for you. And now you go, oh, well, let me go ahead and help you then. You haven't been able to pay your electric bill? Well, let me go ahead and help you then. It's one of the reasons that I encourage churches and church boards to pay their pastors enough that they can pick up the check. Now, it doesn't mean that a pastor won't get himself into financial difficulties. And that's God. He's got to be wise with what he does so he doesn't get into difficulties. But it's a breach of pastoral ethics to ever take advantage of someone to try to gain something from them for what you're doing. I'll give you another one. We years ago had a pastor on staff who started visiting the sick and that was really good. I thought, what a great thing. He just sees his ministry. If anybody's sick, he goes to their house. He keeps going until they're better. Until we got a call at the church that he had been caught taking, you know, Percocet and Oxycontin out of people's cabinets. So in other words, he wasn't going to really care for the sick. He was going to take things to support his addiction. And then you go, that's such a breach of pastoral ethics. A pastor is supposed to be there to care for people, not to devour widows' homes. Now, churches do this too. Churches encourage people to sign your houses over to us. So if you pass away, we get your house. What, what about their kids? What about leaving something for your family? I'm not saying that you can't leave anything to the church when you die. I'm just saying when churches try to get it done, when churches go, let's, let's just, let's go ahead and talk about it. We want to talk to you guys about, about financial planning and making sure that when, if you pass through, all your things are in order, this is a ministry of our church. And they end up from that having estates left to them by what they're doing 
This is a breach of pastoral ethics. Pastors should not do those things. There are ethics that lawyers have. There are ethics that real estate agents have. And there are ethics that pastors have. And this is a breach of it. They devoured widows' homes, the very people they were supposed to care for. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. The opposite was true. We're supposed to be taking care of the widows and orphans, those that are in real need. We're supposed to come alongside and help them. Now, two more things. For a pretense, they make long prayers. And um, they, uh, they love to stand on the street corner and have people see them. Sometimes people will come to me and say, you know what? There's a Bible study and there's all kinds of people there. And then there's a prayer meeting and there's five people there. And I know the person I'm talking to. And I'm like, that's because you pray the whole time they're there. That's because they went to your prayer meeting and you monopolized, you preach to them through the prayer. They're wanting to pray. They got things they want to pray about. Don't make wrong prayers for a pretense. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room in private and your father who sees you in private will reward you openly. You can't be praying for the wrong reason if you're praying by yourself. You're there with God and you alone and it's a point of faith. Finally, he says to them, you will receive greater condemnation. When you are misusing the positions God has given you for your own personal gain, then there will be condemnation. The Bible says, let not many of you desire to be pastors because you will, re you will receive a stricter judgment. God judges spiritual leaders in a harsher way than he judges someone who's not. And this should be a warning. And this is why I've entitled this message. Religious leaders have to hear this because if you're taking advantage of people, if you're not doing these things, you will be judged in a harsher way. These guys were not Christians. There are religious leaders who are not Christians. I would say a, a, a clergyman who is molesting a child is not a Christian. I can't judge their faith. I don't really know, but I think I got a pretty strong sense that they're not and that they're going to receive a greater condemnation for this. That's strong. I realize it, but it should be strong. It should be. And so we, too, again, there's application for us that we don't take advantage of when God has put us there to care for someone, that we wouldn't take advantage of them for any possible reason. And people do it. Maybe we can recognize it when it is and guard our heart that we would never get over into those kind of areas, any of these areas. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus not only deals with those things that are easy to hear, but with those things that are hard to hear. And this is a hard passage to hear. But nevertheless, it's important. And important for leaders, religious leaders, to understand what is expected of them by Christ. And what a tragedy that religious leaders have become like Pharisees, the very people that you spoke against. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in the name of Jesus, that we might be able to put away hypocrisy and not be pharisaical at all. We thank you for this. Amen.